if you uh, boil water and uh, you catch the steam and uh, it comes back to its normal form through uh, the process of condensation, you'll see that water is clear. It's transparent. You can see through it. In politics, there's constant talk about making the system transparent, about making the process transparent. Uh, There's all kinds of laws that have been passed in many states for local governments called sunshine laws, which is supposed to bring uh, everything out into the open and make everything transparent. The point being that if things aren't hidden, it's less likely that things will go awry. Because if everything a politician is doing is out in the open, uh, the amount of things that they would do um, that was inappropriate would lessen. I'm not so sure that's true, by the way, because uh, power overwhelms transparency. But that aside, we're not talking about politicians, and we're not talking about governments. We're talking about ourselves. And how transparent are we as individuals, and how transparent do we allow ourselves to be? Are we hidden from others and hidden from ourselves or are we visible as to who we are to others and visible to ourselves the Quran speaks voluminously on hypocrisy those who say one thing and mean another, those who project themselves to be one way but are truly another. As individuals, how hidden are we from others and how hidden are we from ourselves? I really think that if we're into hiding from others, We also hide from ourselves because we become so confused in trying to maintain the veneer of who we are, we lose touch of who we really are, and essentially become as confused as to our identity as the ones we're trying to confuse. 
in order to become pure, like water, transparent, we have to let go of all of the things that we don't want other people to know. We have to let go of all of the things that cause us shame. We have to let go of all of the things that there is a tendency to hide because they somehow embarrass us or somehow cause us difficulty. Um, Politicians, when they speak, have to be very careful because everything that they say uh, can be and is often recorded. So later, they have to answer for what they said. But more than that, one of the tools that criminal investigative services use, something called a wiretap, where they listen to people when they don't think anybody's listening. Uh, where they record people's conversations, where they think those recordations are private. And they say things that they don't expect other people to hear. So these people are leading double and triple lives. They're leading the lives that they have in public, and then they're leading the lives that they have in secret that they're trying to hide from society. Now, the way that we are set up right now, we cannot read each other's minds. And we cannot see through each other's motives. Um, We can assume each other's motives, and we can feel each other's motives, And depending on our empathy and the strength of our empathy, we can tell when people are telling us the truth and not. But, again, it's often conjecture because of the limited nature to be involved in someone else. But imagine if you were transparent truly and your thoughts were transparent truly. And your being, and ideas, and motives, and emotions were transparent. And imagine that it was this way since the time you were young. Obviously, we would form a different way of being, because we would have to. Or else, there would be a very large allowance for certain things within society that became normal. So, if everybody was transparent, and to continue doing things the way we do now in a transparent world, then things that are forbidden would have to become okay, because people hide all the things that are forbidden. 
And if you couldn't, how would society adjust? How would people adjust so they could maintain that which they really wanted to do? It becomes complicated. And it actually becomes kind of funny. But we have to understand that there's going to be a time when we are transparent. And when all the things that we think we're hiding are going to be open. And all the things that we think are hidden are going to be open. And there is not going to be the ability to deny something that you did because it's transparent and undeniable. Um, I mean, a good lawyer will tell you, if you get your hand caught in a cookie jar and somebody sees it, tell them it's not your hand. But that only works up to a certain phase, and what it does is it delays things, so maybe you can plea out to something less than what the maximum is because you're such a waste of time and such a pain in the butt. But with transparency, all of these things would disappear. And when we talk about self-judgment and we talk about being able to look at ourselves and come to conclusions as to our own acts... We have to get to the point where we can be transparent with ourselves. Transparent to the point that we see our foibles as opposed to cover them. Now, we're supposed to cover the faults of our friends. But we're not supposed to cover our own faults to ourselves. And do we have the courage to step into the cesspool of our own faults, bring ourselves out of it, clean ourselves off from it, and then atone and walk the straight path. Do we have the courage to do that? Can we handle the pain of understanding the things that we've done and the things that we've seen, and the things that we allow ourselves to hide within ourselves in our secret moments. Can we be without secret moments? Can we be without two or three personalities that we have for different situations and different occasions and different people? Can we be open all the time? Part of uh, schizophrenics have a problem. They don't have filters between what they think and what they say. And depending on how bad they are, um, those filters are less and less and less. Now, We know, from our own experiences, that the mind will think many different things. Some obscene, some gross, some violent. Yet, 
We also know that the mind is not necessarily who we are. It's just a thinking machine that's not necessarily under any kind of control. And what it does is it produces thoughts, not necessarily ones that make sense, not necessarily ones that will do you any good, not necessarily ones that are bad. It just produces thoughts. We, in our interaction with this thought-producing machine, this mind, have to be able to connect to it from a place of wisdom that intersects with this thought-producing machine and evaluates what it's producing and decides what to go with and what not to go with. People who have difficulty with saying no to their mind have difficulty with their existence in the world. This understanding that you are not necessarily responsible for the thoughts produced in your mind is a key understanding in beginning to learn who you are. If you can negate all that comes out of your mind that's negative, if you can release yourself from the influence of all of the negative and impure thoughts that come through you, if you can release yourself from this apparent self-motive that the mind thinks is important, yet is of little or no consequence, if you can learn to do that, then you've stepped into another phase of existence. Most people not only can't do that, they don't even think about doing it. They don't even think about going to the place where that should be done. They don't think it's important. They don't think there's a need to analyze it. So, here we are with a thought-producing machine that's out of control, and we have to be able to establish within ourselves a control mechanism to use that which makes sense and to discard that which doesn't make sense. And when I say sense, I mean in the highest term of reality, hak. So we have to have wisdom in order to filter that which runs through our mind which lacks wisdom. So we have lack of wisdom and we have wisdom, but we're constantly in a phase where lack of wisdom is running through us. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that within us, we have part of us 
that's sort of out of control. And the thoughts that it can engender are not necessarily involved with us. They become a repetition, very often, of that which you encounter in your existence, which is why you shouldn't look at certain things, which is why you shouldn't read certain things, which is why you don't go to certain movies, because the influence they have on you lingers and then is spit back, just like a baby spits back what it hears. The mind is like a baby. The input comes back out. And in this world, there is an enormous amount of input that is contrary to divine understandings, that is contrary to the divine-led life, that is contrary to seeking the divine. And we have to deal with this baby on a constant basis. In understanding that, and in understanding the nature of the mind that we have to deal with, it's easier for us to get a grasp on our own being and forgive ourselves for our thoughts because they're not, they don't have anything to do with who we are. And once we get into that understanding that outside influences get shot back at us through the mind and then we have this filter called wisdom that allows us to take what's important and discard what's not, we understand now that there's a process that goes on inside of ourselves. And in this process, there is a constant spewing of inappropriate things and appropriate things. And we have to understand how to make this life appropriate. What I found over the years, as we get older and older, that my scope of interest in the world gets narrower and narrower. And as my scope of interest in the world gets narrower and narrower, my intention can become more and more settled into an intention that I actually understand. When you're very young, the entire world is out there, and it appears to be something that you need to conquer. It appears to be something that you need to integrate with or interface with and do all sorts of things. As you get older, you realize that all these things that you thought you needed to do, not only don't you need to do, they're an enormous waste of time, and they don't get you anywhere. So we need to narrow and narrow and narrow down our interface with the world, our interaction with the world. When I took our teacher... Uh, actually when he came down 
to where I lived uh, at the shore, I had established an itinerary for the day, and there were a number of places I wanted to take him. And I mentioned that to him. And he said, well, the children will find it interesting. And I'll go along, so uh, I'll be part of what's going on. But, you know, I really have no interest in any of these things. When do we get to the point where we really don't have any interest in these things? When do we get to the point where this thought-producing machine becomes irrelevant to us. That we don't even need to contemplate all the different suggestions that it makes. That it just goes and it's there and we're here and we realize the separation between us. When do we get to the point where there's no longer a disturbance in our being by the thoughts that go through our head. When can we get to the point where we are released from their influence and therefore released from the emotional upheaval that it's capable of taking us through? When can we understand that our true existence is with Hak? and not with the world, and that the world's influence becomes less and less and less on us. Monasteries are created in religions so that men or women can remove themselves from the world and don't have to be influenced to the extent that people living in the world are influenced by it. Some of these monasteries, people don't even talk in order to decrease the influence. In Sufism, there's a 40-day practice where you essentially go into a dark, um, we'll call it a cave for lack of another word, but it doesn't have to be a cave. It could just be a room. And you just contemplate reality without outside stimulus, worldly stimulus. Can we cut ourselves off from that stimulus and begin to be stimulated by that which is eternal? To begin to be stimulated by our belief and faith in Allah by our belief and faith in his qualities, by our belief and faith in his purity. Can we become transparent to that world because we have taken out all of the impurities from this world? The pure and the impure don't mix. The impure taints the pure. We need to do away with the taint, the extent of the taint, the constant incursion of the taint. And it doesn't stop, 
and it won't stop. But what will stop is our relationship with it. If you have friends who constantly get you in trouble, you should stop seeing them. Not a very complicated understanding. If you have friends who constantly get you in trouble, you should stop seeing them. You should stop paying attention to them. You shouldn't allow yourself to be influenced by them. You shouldn't care about what they do or don't do. You just need to cut them off. We need to cut off the influence of our lower self, which interacts with us through our mind. It isn't going to stop, but its influence can stop. And we need to detach ourselves from that influence. It's not something that ever ends. No matter what situation we are, it's still going to be there. But after a while, it becomes no more than a buzz in the background that we've learned to disregard. So, we need to become pure. We need to become real. But to become pure and become real, we need to be involved with things that are pure and are real. We can't be involved with that which is tainted and expect to be pure. We can't be involved with that which is hypocrisy and expect to be pure. We have to be a taskmaster on ourselves, not on others. It's very easy to tell other people what they're doing wrong and how they're doing wrong. It's a lot harder to look at ourselves and keep ourselves straight. The work is towards ourselves. And the more that we realize that this is the work that we've been given and this is the work that we have to do, the more we do it, the more we will find that our lives will become peaceful and easy. Because once we contemplate with too much vigor all of the difficulties that exist in the world, chaos will absolutely ensue. Bawa used to say, don't bring the world into this place. He was talking about his fellowship. Don't bring the world into this place. Each one of us is a sanctuary. Each one of us is a monastery. Let's try to keep the world out of the sanctuary and keep the truth in the sanctuary. Keep God's qualities in the sanctuary. Keep ourselves attuned to those qualities and in contemplation of those qualities. That will bring peace into our lives And that will bring a true relationship with other people and with Allah. May it be so for each of us. Ameen. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.